0: Welcome to the Real Life Church Podcast channel. My name is Michael Bame. I am the pastor here, and Real Life Church is all about connecting Jesus to real lives. You can find out more about us at reallifecov.com. So I sat down with Michael about a month ago to talk about what the topic would be for my message. And I said, you know, I think I'd like to continue on with this character series that you've been doing. And he said, great. Got any characters in mind? I said, yeah. And I rattled off a few, and he kind of chuckled and looked at me and said, Bob, I'm trying to go through the characters kind of in order of the Old Testament and see how they relate to the New Testament and how they're referred to and that kind of stuff. So I really can't let you jump ahead to somebody in the New Testament or someone at the very end of the Old Testament. We kind of have to keep it in order. He said, let me look at my calendar. I said, okay. He said, let's see. That week is chapter 38 of Genesis. That is Judah and Tamar. Are you familiar with that story? And I said, hmm, Tamar, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, I'm vaguely familiar with the story, but I was thinking of King David's daughter Tamar, not Tamar, the wife, uh, or the, uh, Judah's daughter-in-law. So I said, yeah, yeah, okay, I, I can do Judah and Tamar. So I go home. And I opened up the Bible, and I said, okay, I better review this story and see what it's all about. And I read through the chapter, and I close the book, and I look, yep, it says Bible on it. Because after what I read, I thought it was maybe a transcript from the Jerry Springer show, or maybe Dr. Phil. So that gives you an idea of what we're getting into today. All right? So every week, Michael has us trying to answer three basic questions about what we're studying. Who are these people? How do they connect to Jesus? And what in the world do they have to do with us? So I'm going to try to do that for us today. So who are they? Judah is one of 12 sons of Jacob, or Israel, as God renamed him. Judah's name means to praise. And Judah is mentioned 830 times in the Old Testament and 10 times in the New Testament who is Tamar. She is a Canaanite woman who was the wife of Judah's oldest son, Ur. Now her name means palm tree or date palm. She's mentioned 36 times in the Old Testament, but only one time in the New Testament. So let's look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, verses 1 through 3. Now, I know how much all of you love genealogy, so I tried to keep it short. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, the descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron was the father of Ram, yada, yada, yada. So the tribe of Judah is the tribe of Israel that Jesus descended from. Tamar is one of only five women that's mentioned in the entire genealogy of Jesus. So here's some things I'd like you to think about as we go through today's message. Is there something in your life that you've done that you wish you could undo? What is one behavior that you engage in regularly that you would like to change? So think about those two things as I'm going through this. What does this story have to do with us? Let's dig into it a little bit and try to find out. First, let me set the stage. So the chapter right before this, Genesis 37, is all about Joseph and the dreams that he has. Joseph is the favorite son of Jacob, And his brothers are very jealous of him. So they don't really appreciate him, you know, walking around telling him about his dreams and stuff. So Jacob sends his 10 oldest sons out to pasture his sheep, keeps his two younger ones home with him. Then he decides, well, I better go check on those kids. So he sends Joseph out to check on his older brothers. So he goes out. Tries to find them, can't find them, gets directions, finally finds them in some field way out away from where they were supposed to be. Well, they see Joseph coming, and they say, you know what, we should really get rid of this little guy. Um, So they plot to kill him. One of the older brothers, Reuben, says, hey, you know what, we really don't need to kill him. There's an empty cistern right over here. We can just throw him into that cistern, let him die on his own. That way his blood's not on our hands. We should maybe do that. So, Joseph comes, they take him, they throw him into the cistern, and they sit down to eat. So, imagine this. Joseph's in this cistern, which is a big dry well, basically. Doesn't have any water in it. And he's yelling at the top of his lungs, and his brothers are sitting, oh, 20, 25 feet away, and they're probably eating lunch, not paying any attention to him. So, Judah, the subject of our story, says, you know, we really don't need to kill Joseph. Look over there, there's a caravan coming. We could sell them to that caravan for 20 pieces of silver and we could make some money off of them instead. So they do. They sell Joseph and he's off to Egypt. Then they have to figure out a story to tell Jacob, their father. Hey, your favorite son's dead. How do we convince him of this? So they take Joseph's coat. They kill a young goat, pour blood on the coat, bring it to Jacob and say, isn't this your son's coat? Um, we think he's dead. Huh. So then they have to put up with mourning, day after day, month after month, year after year, of Jacob over Joseph. Um, and this wears on them a little bit, and that leads us into our story. So our story begins in Genesis 38, 1 through 3. And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and sisters and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Judah saw that there was a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son and named him Er. No, Er, that was his name. Okay. So <laughs> Judah saw okay, so, so we got through that part right there and, and The name Ur kind of made me stumble a little bit. So the the Bible doesn't say why Judah left home, but we can speculate it's because he kind of felt guilty about the whole Joseph transaction thing. Um, Or he may have just gotten tired of listening to his father mourning over Joseph's death. Um, They thought they would get rid of Joseph when they sold him off, but it actually only made it worse within their household. The Bible also doesn't tell us how he met this Hira um, the Adulamite. But he saw a Canaanite woman, and he married her. So let's stop right there. There is a little bit of history here about Jews and Canaanites. So a few weeks ago, Michael talked about Abraham and seeking out a wife for Isaac. In Genesis 24, 2 through 4, let's look at that. One day, Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, Take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. Well, in Genesis 28, 1, we see a similar story play out for Isaac seeking a wife for Jacob. So Isaac called for Jacob, blessed him and said, you must not marry any of these Canaanite women. Now we have Judah leaving home and marrying a Canaanite woman. Hmm. We're told the name of the woman's father, but not the name of the woman. In verses 4 through 5, then she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son and she named him Onan. When she gave birth to a third son, she named him Shelah. At the time of Shelah's birth, they were living in Kazib. Judah named the first son, and Tamar named the next two. Not sure if there's any significance to that, but it's kind of interesting. Wasn't there an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie about Onan? Conan. Oh, Conan! Oh, sorry. <laughs> Or, or was it a late night host? No, no, that's Conan too. Okay, sorry. Um, I wasn't sure how to pronounce the name of the third son, but I didn't think anyone would be mean enough to name their kid, their boy, Sheila, So I went with Sheila, just to, you know, try to be nice to him. In verses six through seven, the Bible says, in the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight. So the Lord took his life. We don't get any information about Tamar, her family or her faith. Most people assume that she's also a Canaanite. We also don't get any information about Ur and what he did that was so evil in the sight of God that God would put him to death. We do know that Ur lived with Judah, and what we've seen of Judah so far has not been the greatest example Maybe Ur was a chip off of the old block or an apple that didn't fall too far from the tree or maybe a little monkey see monkey do. Not sure. But we do know that God is just and would not take a life without a just cause. In verses 8 through 10, it says, Then Judah said to Er, Er's brother Onan, sorry, Go and marry Tamar. As our law requires a brother of a man who has died, you must produce an heir for your brother. But Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground. This prevented her from having a child who would would belong to his brother. But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's life also. Did you notice any mention in there about Judah mourning the death of his son, Ur? Hmm. No. Judah was trying to figure out what to do with his daughter-in-law, Ur's widow. He was following the Jewish marriage tradition or custom where a brother provides a child for his dead brother's wife so his brother can have an heir but also so that the wife can have someone to take care of them as they grow old. Onan appears to be obeying his father's and the Jewish custom, but he really is only in it for the physical relationship with Tamar. God didn't approve of that behavior and took his life. In verse 11 it says, Then Judah said to Tamar, the daughter-in-law, Go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son Shelah is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Shelah would also die like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live in her father's household. Did you notice any mention of Judah mourning his son Onan? Hmm. No. Again, Judah appears to be following the Jewish marriage custom, sending Tamar to live with her parents until the youngest son is old enough to marry her. But it appears that Judah is blaming Tamar for the death of his sons and not willing to risk the life of his only remaining son to have him marry Tamar. Maybe she's some sort of a black widow. In verses 12 through 13, it says, some years later, Judah's wife died. After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend, Hira the Adulamite, went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of the sheep. Someone told Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep there. So Judah's wife died. Still, we haven't learned what her name was. This time, it is noted that he did go through a time of mourning and then went with his friend and bad influence, I might add, Hira the Adulamite, to supervise sheep shearing. Now, this sounds like kind of an arduous task to shear sheep. These guys weren't actually going to do the shearing. They were supervising. So this was really a time of festival for them. It was the end of a season. The sheep were being sheared. They were selling the wool, making lots of money, and it was a time to go and party. But somebody leaked information to Tamar that her father-in-law was going up to this sheep shearing festival. Now, does the town of Timnah ring any bells for you? There's another famous biblical character that met his waterloo at Timnah. His name is Samson. All right, let's go to verse 14. Tamar was aware that Shelah had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing "'and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. "'Then she sat beside the road at the entrance "'to the village of Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah. "'Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute "'since she had covered her face. "'So he stopped and propositioned her, "'not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law. "'How much will you pay to have sex with me?' Tamar asked. "'Well, I'll send you a young goat from my flock,' Judah promised.' But what will you give me to guarantee that you will send a goat? Asked Tamar. What kind of guarantee do you want? So she said, leave me your identification seal, its cord, and the walking stick you are carrying. So Judah gave them to her. Then he had intercourse with her, and she became pregnant. Afterwards, she went back home, took off her veil, and put on her widow clothing again. See what I mean? Jerry, Dr. Phil, I mean, come on. So Tamar realizes that Judah had lied to her and the marriage to Shayla is never going to happen. This leaves her in a very bad position, a widow with no one to care for her as she grows older. She's living with her parents but likely won't outlive them. And anything her parents have will be given to the sons because the daughters were typically not given anything. Her father-in-law was the only one who could release her to marry someone else and he didn't appear to have any intention of doing that. Tamar knows that Judah's wife has died and she knows the type of man he is and what his inclinations are. So she disguises herself as a prostitute, covers her face, and plants herself down by the gate of a town on the road that he's going to be walking on. Now, he propositioned her it's not like she was out there saying, hey, buddy, come on over here. He, you know, he decided to initiate the whole interaction there, and he didn't recognize her because her face was covered. So let me ask you, we've been going through this pandemic for a while, lots of people wearing face coverings. How hard has it been for you to recognize people when they have a mask or some other covering on their face? When you look at their eyes or you hear their voice, especially someone you're familiar with, aren't you typically able to recognize them? Wouldn't you think that a father-in-law would be able to recognize the eyes and voice of his daughter-in-law? Well, Judah was only thinking of one thing, and that was his pleasure. So Judah offers to pay with a young goat. Hmm. Wasn't there a goat in the story about Joseph? So there's kind of a path here with goats and Judah and actually the family of Jacob. So Jacob used a goat skin to fool his father into thinking he was his brother Esau to steal his blessing. The blood of a goat was used on Joseph's coat to fool Jacob into thinking that Joseph was dead. And now Judah's going to pay Tamar with a goat? Based on past history, I don't think this is going to end very well, but I'm not sure. Um, Tamar wasn't willing to engage with him based on just his word, um, so she asked for collateral, you know, smart business decision. She requests Judas identification seal and cord and staff. Now, the identification seal was basically a a piece of brass that was formed kind of like a ring, and it had some unique insignia on it so that when Jacob agreed to a contract, or when Jacob sent a letter, they would put hot wax down, he would stamp his seal into it so people would know that it was from him. So it was very unique to Jacob. Now normally these seals were worn on a cord around your neck. They didn't wear them as a ring or anything like that. And the staff that he carried, in those days people had very unique staffs that were you know, something that was part of them. This says, I am, I am Judah. So here is my staff. So these things could be very easily used to identify Judah to anyone. So he was very, very willing to give them up in order to have sex. Hmm. So what does verse 20 through 23 say? Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where's the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Anaim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this goat, but you didn't find her. So, being an honorable man, Judah says, hey, Hira, take this goat, go pay that lady, get my stuff back. Hira runs up there, tries to find her, can't find her, comes back and says, I don't know where she is. And Judah's response, forget about it. We tried, okay? I, I said I'd pay her a goat. I sent the goat up. That's it. If we, you know, I, I'm more worried about my reputation than I am about making sure that I complete this transaction and getting all my stuff back from her. So, you know, he, he, he tried his best. I guess that's what we can say. In verse thir- 24 through 26, after about three months, he sent, uh, sorry, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has acted like a prostitute, and now because of this, She is pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff they are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shalem. And he did not sleep with her again. So Tamar is wearing widow's clothing and starting to show. Not a good situation. There is no way that a widow could get pregnant without the consent and knowledge of the father in law. So Judah is furious. This had to be adultery because Judah had never sent Shayla to her or given her a release to marry anybody else. Now, in their culture, adultery was forbidden, but prostitution was acceptable. Jewish law would call for the adulterous woman and the man with whom she had adultery to be stoned to death. But Canaanite law took it one step further, and the woman was to be burned to death. So Judah picks the worst punishment, the most harsh punishment possible for Tamar. So how would Jesus have handled this situation? Let's look at Luke, or I'm sorry, John, chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. Here's what it says. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. WHEN THE ACCUSERS HEARD THIS, THEY SLIPPED AWAY ONE BY ONE, BEGINNING WITH THE OLDEST, UNTIL ONLY JESUS WAS LEFT IN THE MIDDLE OF THE CROWD WITH the WOMAN. THEN JESUS STOOD UP AGAIN AND SAID TO THE WOMAN, WHERE ARE YOUR ACCUSERS? DIDN'T EVEN ONE OF THEM CONDEMN YOU? NO, LORD, SHE SAID. AND JESUS SAID, NEITHER DO I. GO AND SIN NO MORE. So Jesus took the exact opposite approach of Judah. Instead of condemning her, he showed the people accusing her that they also had committed sins that were worthy of punishment. We can see our sins so clearly when other people commit them. You know, the plank in your eye versus the speck in their eye. Isn't it interesting how bad our sins look on other people. Now, Tamar had waited like a true poker player to reveal her hand. She sent a message to Judah as she was being taken out to be burned. Now, we have to assume that Judah was there for the burning. Otherwise, I don't know the messenger would have got to his place in time before she got tied to the stake and set ablaze. The message was delivered along with evidence to prove who her partner was. Judah saw the items and realized that Tamar had attempted to complete the Jewish Jewish marriage custom that he had failed to follow with Shelah. Judah had been irresponsible and unfaithful to his duty to see that his family continued. Tamar fought for her right to be the mother of Judah's line. When she was not given to Shelah and Judah's wife died, She took action on her own to ensure that the line of Judah did not die out. Though deceptive, it was a desperate and courageous act. For Tamar, it was well within her rights. She did not do anything the law did not entitle her to do. It was Tamar, not Judah, who ultimately is responsible for the survival of the descendants of the line of Judah. Now, what Judah says appears to be true, genuine repentance. This was a huge turning point for Judah. He never slept with Tamar again, which implies that he took her back into his household and cared for her. We learn in Genesis 42.3 that Judah had returned to Jacob's household, where it says, So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. He also took responsibility for his youngest brother Benjamin when they were taking him to Egypt in Genesis 43. Judah said to his father, "Send the boy with me, and we will be on our way. Otherwise, we will all die of starvation, not only we, but you and our little ones as well. I personally guarantee his safety. You may hold me responsible if you don't bring if I don't bring him back to you." Then let me bear the blame forever. Then he received the blessing of his father Jacob, um, which was shown earlier on the screen as Ashley was talk- going through her talk point. Um, and it talks about Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp at your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion. That has finished eating its prey. Like a lion he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs. Did you know part of Judah's blessing? It's actually quoted again in numbers 24:9 when Balaam said his blessing over Israel? So in 24, 9 in Numbers, it says, Like a lion, Israel crouches down and lies. Like a lioness, who dares rouse it? Blessed is everyone who blesses you, O Israel, and cursed is everyone who curses you. The Lion of Judah is also referenced in Revelation 5, 5. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the Lion of Judah... The heir to David's throne has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. All of these references trace back to Judah's blessing from Jacob. So let's finish up in twenty seven and twenty or twenty seven through thirty. When the time came for Tamar to give birth, it was discovered that she was carrying twins. While she was in labor, one of the babies reached out. Um, his hand, the midwife grabbed it and tied a scarlet string around the child's wrist, announcing, this one came out first. But then he pulled back his hand, and out came his brother. What? the midwife exclaimed. How did you break out first? So he was named Perez. Then the baby with the scarlet string on his wrist was born, and his name was zara Does this story sound familiar to another birth story that you have been told about over the summer? There was only one other mother in the Bible that bore twins, and that was Isaac's wife, Rebekah, who gave birth to Jacob and Esau. In both stories, the younger son thrusts ahead of the elder and displaces him. And in both stories, the one who is naturally expected to get the birthright loses it. The name Perez means one who breaks through. So how do we answer that final question, what do Judah and Tamar have to do with us? How is it that we can relate to them? As I read through the story, there was no way that I thought that the Messiah could come through the line of Judah. But God shows that he can and will He was some of the most flawed people in His plan. God takes the least likely person and empowers them to do amazing things through His grace. The purpose of Genesis is to reveal the glory of God and His creation, but also the redemption of mankind. God corrects those who disregard His plan and pursue a life of self-gratification. The Bible's not shy about revealing character flaws. That is one way that we know that the Bible was inspired by God. Man would have shied away from most of the information in a chapter like this. Character change is a common theme throughout the book of Genesis. Abram to Abraham, Jacob becomes Israel, and now Judah is transformed from a hard and calloused man who seemed to care only about himself, to a repentant man who had desired to do what is right. God planned all along to have the Messiah, the Lion of Judah, come from his bloodline. The story of Tamar may be a reflection on the importance of caring for the needy and the responsibility of the community to do so. Marginalized people sometimes need to do drastic things, in order to get the care that they need. God changed Judah by grace. The unmerited, undeserved favor of God. Even though people do messed up things, God is still working in the background to accomplish his plan. Jesus comes from the eventual outcome of this messy situation. Is there something that you have done in your life that you wish you could undo? Is there one behavior that you engage in regularly that you would like to change? God's grace covers anything that you have done in your life. God can help you to change any behavior if you just ask him. It's not a case of trying harder or doing more. It is acknowledging that we can't do it and need God's help to transform us just like he did with Judah. God changes us from the inside out. God isn't looking for us to be perfect. He wants us to come to him as we are and let him transform us through his grace. If we were all perfect, then there would have been no need for Jesus to die on the cross. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed the sermon today. We love connecting Jesus' life with other people's lives and hope we were able to do that with you today. If you'd like to know more about us here at Real Life Church, please check us out at reallifecove.com. Thanks for listening.